This is another episode of Connecting the Dots podcast. I'm Skip Stewart, Vice President and Chief Improvement Officer at Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey, everybody. I'm HF Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. And hi, everyone. I'm Jake Lancaster. I'm an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist system. Well, today we are so excited to invite Dr. Mark Hallett uh, to the podcast. A lot of you uh, know Dr. Hallett, uh, his background, but for those that don't, Dr. Hallett, tell us where do you work at, what is your role, and a little bit about your background. Well, good day, everybody. My name is Mark Hallett. I'm a family physician and primary care sports physician by background. I currently serve as the chief clinical officer at the St. Charles Health System, which is based in Bend, Oregon. Well, uh, Mark, Dr. Hallett, uh, once again, thank you so much for being here. And uh, we are, as Skip said, we're very excited. And when we, when we have physicians on the show, and, and of course, I ask this question every time is, and I preface it by saying when we went into medical school and went into residency, we had no idea that we would end up working not only in leadership positions and administration, but uh, doing improvement work. And, and tell us a little bit about your journey, how, how you transitioned or how you got to where you are now. Well, I appreciate that, HF. Um, from the time I did family medicine residency, even in my third year, I was doing quality projects, uh, trying to develop algorithms to take better care of um, common things that we saw in the family medicine clinic. Um, I think that um, my my experience in practice uh, started out practice in Vail in Copper Mountain, Colorado, where I uh, nice. learned how to improve not only um, clinical things like uh, care for concussions, which was quite a quite a early science back then, but also um, basic business operations, better charge capture, and 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 that sort of thing when things were still pretty much um pretty much manual fast forward and that's when that's when people weren't we weren't wearing helmets when we well we weren't even snowboarding back then probably we were still skiing and certainly not wearing helmets the very first california snowboarders were coming to colorado mountains uh, speaking a language that most of us did not understand so it was interesting to take uh, care of concussed uh, California surfers <laughs> who were uh, then talking like surfers, but concussed and trying to figure out, are they making sense or is this just the way they talk uh, normally? But anyway, so sorry, you I know, interrupted you. Long, long story short, I was early on in the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force uh, evidence based practice work. Um, and and then it just built from there. Um, once you start seeing gaps in in care that could or should be delivered, you start asking yourself, well, what, how do we close those gaps? How do we actually uh, start with reliable data and showing care gaps and make it meaningful and engage folks in, hey, we can do better and, you know, all the change management that comes from the realization that we all want excellence in care uh, and everybody is somebody, somebody. So, you know, if we're going to, if we want excellence in care, isn't it right for us to deliver that sort of clinical and and at, at its foundation operational excellence? Um, so, 
you know, then got exposed to, you know, take some basic quality improvement and then happened to be at the right place at the right time and got a chance to learn uh, to to lead and and learn lean uh, at ThetaCare as I uh, co-developed the first service line there. And, um, you know, we did something like uh, two dozen rapid improvement events over the three years to stand that up. And uh, at the end, had a had a functional interdisciplinary orthopedic service line, um, and then just broadened out to medical group leadership and then system leadership. Yeah, I saw that um, on your on your LinkedIn profile at ThetaCare, where you had multiple different roles within the organization. You were COO at one point and and senior vice president at another. Talk to us about how you know you approach those roles from a physician perspective and also from a continuous, continuous improvement perspective. Well, you're right. I, I think uh, after that service line work, I got the chance to lead the medical group. And during that time, I uh, got a chance to do a master's of business operational excellence, uh, MBOE, which is uh, out of the business school at Ohio State. Um, uh, got my Six Sigma black belt at the same time. But um, I, I think that um, basic lean thinking starts with what is the customer, uh, what what does the customer need, um, and at at, at uh, on what timing, what cadence, uh, how often, and then working backwards from there. So I think that um, when it gets right down to it, there's there's a lot of folks who understand PDSA thinking. You know, I mean, we all learned scientific method based thinking and problem solving when we were in grade school or middle school. But the magic really starts to happen when you start to think about um, the flows in a value stream way. In other words, all this, the sequence of processes and steps that need to occur in order to deliver um, highest quality, lowest cost on a timely basis uh, at a pace that meets the demand of the, of the patient customer. So. Once, I mean, things really started to take off once we could see the opportunities that we had in between the gaps to be able to eliminate all the different forms of waste that made those processes uh, slow and and prone to error. And, uh, and you know, so I, I think it was really value stream thinking and the ability to look at the big picture um, is is really where the magic for lean thinking comes alive. Well, Mark, you mentioned you know really the the foundation of of lean is what does the customer want and and how how can we serve customers and you know that this this podcast is geared towards physicians and and I say this incriminating myself. It seems to me that sometimes the physicians we are the biggest obstacles when it comes to that because we've we've always had that mentality and 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 most people we we might deny it but sometimes we feel like we're the customer and, and the system uh, the operating room the you know they should be serving me and giving me what I want how how do you has that kind of been your experience am I am I you know, I'm probably going to ruffle some feathers for some of our listeners, but I, I think that's true. Well, I, I think um, 
I, I hear what you're saying. I've definitely heard that a lot before. Um, and and once we start thinking about process-based thinking, theoretically, we are all the customer, uh, all customers of certain processes. You know, what's your internal and external customers? Sure. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, because none of our work happens in isolation. So, as a as a surgeon, you're a customer of um, of the scheduling process in the OR. You're a customer of the uh, sterile processing department, the um, value analysis team, and the supply chain. So there are multiple different work streams that have to come together in order for you to have what you need to be able to do a successful operation on somebody. So it's it's uh, there, there's a variety of internal customers, but at the end of the day, the person who's receiving the service is 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 the customer, and it it, it definitely ruffles some people's feathers to think of them as a customer when from a fiduciary standpoint we want to be thinking of them as a patient i tend to think of them when they're when they're outside of our care in making choices they're behaving like a customer when they're inside our system um, and in front of us then they're a patient and we have a lot of duties that ethical duties that come as a result of that so it it is a little bit sometimes paradoxical but i think at the end of the day um, we are all customers of certain processes, but the patient is the primary customer. Yeah, I think you you said that right. You know, I do think you know maybe in prior years, you know, the hospital just existed to serve the medical staff, and the medical staff knew what was best for the, the patient and would take care of them. And that dynamic has changed a little bit, um, and sometimes. You know, especially with independent medical staffs that, you know, not employed, there is lack of alignment between um, what the hospital and hospital leadership wants to do and, and the independent medical staff. Um, how have you worked through that dynamic over the years, getting alignment between the medical staff and some of the projects you've worked on? Well, I, I think it's a it's a real issue, especially in times when um it seems, depending upon the market, like there's more and more what I would call collaborative relationships, um, which uh, everybody is in a in a tough market trying to um, assure their financial and and uh, practice practice success. So, um, and of course, when the when the pie gets smaller, the table manners sometimes get worse. So it's all part of um, trying to create alignment. Um, of strategy and sort of shared vision uh, about what an organization is is trying to achieve together. I mean, after all, the the medical staff is accountable to the board. So it, at the end of the day, most of these um, challenges start at the board level because the board is the common connection point with the CEO and the management team and with the the medical staff. So if the organization is going to be successful at alignment, it has to start out at the board. And uh, um, I think different organizations are variably successful at that. 
Ark, here at, at Baptist, we have what we call uh, the Baptist Management System, and, and that's our improvement system. It's the way we approach improvement, and it it based a lot on the Toyota production system, you know, um, strategic and tactical A3s, Kata. One thing you mentioned is that, um, was it at ThetaCare when you said y'all went through 20 rapid improvement projects in, in the course of a few years? Um, one thing that I, I, at least I don't have experience uh, with rapid improvement projects, tell me a little bit about those and, and how, you know, what do those consist of and 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 how do you you know it seems like there's probably a lot of excitement but how do you sustain those those rapid improvements that you um that you've implemented well you're right in that um the toyota production system is is an operating system for an organization so there's the improvement system there's the management system there's a strategy deployment system and all the other subsystems that have to be working together in order to make this plane stay up in the air and continue to improve it while flying. So, you know, when I was talking about the the orthopedic service line or the uh, musculoskeletal service line, um, we began with a design session, um, which in lean parlance is called a 3P, and then you get to a um, a, a more detailed design called a 2P, and then you scope out the different improvements. Um, for example, the you know the scheduling part of that value stream, especially when you've got different specialties involved in one operation, and they have to um, they have to coordinate. You know, when you've got primary care sports in with uh, orthopedics and therapy and rehab and rheumatology and so on. So. I think the um, having the overall uh, value stream map kind of mapped out, and then you tend to chunk up the improvements by different areas, typically starting upstream, because as soon as you can start improving things uh, way early, for example, in the in the scheduling process or the rooming process, for example, as soon as you start to make improvements upstream then everything gets better downstream and it gets easier and easier to um, have that positive snowball, that flywheel uh, get turning where people can see improvements being made and, and staying on um, sort of that cadence of continuous improvement in these, you know, rapid improvement events, which oftentimes take six or eight weeks to plan and then a week to execute and then a month to follow up after that 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 whole I and mean, that's that's a pretty big deal so when i was talking about a couple dozen uh rapid improvement events it was just for that service standing up that service line and we had i mean that's where the strategy deployment piece of it comes in we had a number of other strategic initiatives in addition to that one that were uh, also proceeding at that point I think that's great, and you know, we talked about that that uh, flywheel effect uh, several times on on the program. Being able to, you know, one of the ways that we often struggle getting physicians engaged and being part of these projects is that they do take a long time. You know, they are several months um, in the making, sometimes years. And if you're not able to show those quick wins early, um, you're going to lose interest. You're going to lose people. 
Um, so can you, can you comment on any specifics, I guess, things that you try to do to, to show that, um, yeah, that you are actually removing some of that, uh, what do we call it, uh, Skip, you know, um, the stink from my day, you know, from the physicians. <laughs> that, that, really trying to, <laughs> you have to go on Steven record. That, that's Steven Spears' comment. <laughs> that's that, true. Removing yeah. the stink of your day. Yeah. yeah. How, how about we call it, Jake, how about we call it taking the pebbles out of people's shoes? Yeah. That's better. I like that. Well, you know, I think first and foremost, you know, so we're talking about big improvements, but that there's there's a whole nother piece to this, which is the daily improvement system. So how how do and this is something that people pretty much regardless of their department, regardless of their unit um, can do just simply by uh, having a process where you identify things that are getting in my way. And then once a week, um, using a, a, a process, some people would use a pick list uh, in that case to figure out what are the what are the things that we want to work on together and who's going to do what by when. And um, uh, let's let's um, follow progress next week and uh, trying to take, the, you know, sort of the pebbles out of people's shoes. That's that's that only takes. I'll say six to eight weeks for people to start seeing that, hey, my life is getting better. My practice is getting more efficient. This thing that bugs me isn't happening as much if it happens at all. So the 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 bigger value stream improvement things involves much more communication, much more change management, a much smarter use of physician and other providers time, because um, unless you are um, you want to be able to as a going back to something that HF said earlier uh, in many cases the physicians are the customers of these processes uh, and they can you know combine their experience with the experience of actual patients to say this is what's working but this really doesn't work or you know if I if I had my magic wand, I'd like it to work like this. And um, then to try to take the processes apart and figure out how to build so that you can build toward a process that produces that thing that the patients and the internal customers want. Um, so it, it's it's uh, part of it is is communication, part of it's change management, part of it is celebrating small wins and trying to get that, um, trying to uh, address sort of the what's in it for me. Um, and uh, because frankly, my experience is a lot of physicians and other providers, um, once you once you have the clear voice of the patient customer, um, which in and of itself can can provide insight, often does provide insight that's different from the care team. You know, they, uh, I, you know, one time I was leading uh, a rapid improvement event on just the time from um, from uh, mammographic biopsy done to results delivered, which is which was a very short period of time. But that, of course, um, the the women who 
uh, are waiting on, you know, every second counts there. And I remember that uh, we had two patients in that rapid improvement event. And I and a few other uh, primary care and, and surgical uh, physicians were there listening. And it you could have heard a pin drop when they said, look, I don't care who calls me. I don't care. Um, I, I definitely don't want to wait until you, doctor, are back on vacation. I want to hear it as quickly as possible, as compassionately and competently as possible. And I want the next step as quickly as possible. Those were the four criteria they mm -hmm. wanted. And what they completely blew up was the physician-centric idea, especially prominent um, in, in my primary care training, that it's my responsibility. I have to break the news of this positive biopsy to, to, this, um, to this woman. And um, so I guess I tell that story because if, if we actually listen to the voice of the customer, a lot of times they will blow up our assumptions and, um, and we can do a much better job of taking care of them if they understand what's important to them. Yeah, you, you know, just getting off a little sidetrack, you're talking about breast biopsy results. I would, I would tell the patient, I did my own stereotactic breast biopsy, and I, I would say, I am going to call you tomorrow, good or bad, I'm going to call you because the thing they don't like is when your receptionist calls and says, oh, uh, Dr. Mason needs you to come in next week to talk about your biopsy results. Well, they know something's, they know something's wrong then, and, and it, it just creates that much more stress in their life. I, I, I like I like the way you did you guys did that. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about he, here at Baptist. We more and more every day we have we have more and more employed physicians, but we still have a lot more independent physicians. And and you know the main you know we have to we have to gain consensus and we have to use our influence to 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 um, win these guys over but what are some of the strategies through the years that you've used to to uh, influence these independent physicians who you know their their goals you know they're running a practice they're having to make payroll and and their goals might not align with the goals of the system uh th that can be a barrier uh, a lot of times yeah HF, we, we used to have an expression, in God we trust, all others need data. Um, so it, 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 it gets down to performance data because generally speaking, um, physicians as well as other uh, healthcare professionals generally assume they're doing excellent work until proven otherwise. So, you know, whether it's, um, whether it's safety and quality data, whether it's uh, uh, sort of uh, cost analysis, value analysis data, um, bringing data to say, okay, this is the data. Um, oh, by the way, you know the the primary tactic of most physicians is um, is uh, shooting the data, uh, and we know that we know that uh, physicians have to go through the five stages of data grief and 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 get through that. So. But it really, it has to do with um, understanding uh, how performance is showing a range of performance. Um, depending upon the culture, it can be anonymized. And in some cases, it can be transparent. Um, 
but showing where people are performing relative to their peers and um, saying, OK, well, what do we want to be achieving together here? And uh, because at the end of the day, you either I mean, we're pretty good at recognizing um, problems. We, we, we all we all know when something isn't going right. And, you know, so if you're talking about A3 thinking, you're talking about um, scientific method based problem solving, those problems, you know, sort of are, are, are clear. But there are times when you actually have to create a gap in order to to say, OK, we're performing at this level, but we need to be performing at that level to whether it's, you know, for for uh, uh, competitive reasons, for um, uh, ethical and moral reasons, we, we need to be doing a better job. And uh, so creating, show, showing data and um, um, especially around never events and, and zero harm events, um, it, it, it has a way of um, getting people's attention. And then, um, then just kind of including, I think one of the challenges with improvement is that um, historically, um, different organizations have been very, very successful at including physicians and other providers in what I would call the circle of improvement. Sometimes um, the improvement folks um, uh, use uh, Japanese words in, and as a way of honoring the source, but it's off-putting to physicians and other providers if um, there's a language uh, or acronyms that they don't understand, it can be off-putting. And uh, so we need to do a better job generally at making, um, translating the, the scientific method-based A3 thinking that um, is used for structured problem solving. Um, I mean, it's, it, it crosswalks extraordinarily well with the process that uh, a, a provider goes through when they when they do uh, H&P, you know, we all know that. So how do we translate that way of mm. thinking in and make it relevant um, and, and do a, a, a wise use of providers time to to make improvements as well? So it's a variety of different things. It's like you tell them, you know, you have to say, listen, th this these are things that you're already doing in your everyday practice, you know, we're always experimenting, we're always PDSAing. This is just a way of kind of, I don't want to say formalizing it, but but making it more structured. And it, it, it is. And and I think there's there's two thoughts I have on that. One is that um, most of us can't see the whole system. So actually using A3 thinking as a a way to gather uh, group input, all the different pe uh, people who see different parts of the system, um, the A3 ideally is kind of that uh, an artifact of a of a of a dialogue that uh, lays out what are we doing, what are we what are we trying to achieve together, where's the gap, and what are we going to do? Why does that gap exist, and what are we going to do to to close the gap? I think the other piece of that, and you hear it all the time from physicians and other providers about how time intensive this work is. But I think the challenge is that none of us ever uh, calculate the time wasted by 
uh, on the backside of a decision trying to implement um, all the all the uh, you know overcoming the resistance and and implementation time properly done these these improvement events uh, get the voices uh, of key stakeholders up front so that when you get a solution you could move fast so it's the it's kind of proof of that old axiom you go slow to go fast it it does take a little bit more time up front but the implementation time is a fraction um, uh, of what it otherwise would be uh, because you're not dealing with all the change resistance really really good dr hallett uh, i have one more question i know we've come to the to the end but I, I can't not ask you this question i think that was a double negative there i'm sure jake will let me know that later but uh he'll edit the, that out but um he'll edit that out is that right <laughs> so um you know i i know you just have this wealth of, of a deep well of experience in in the improvement science and and being a physician that's just so valuable uh, in healthcare but we all globally went through a shared experience uh, called the pandemic and um, you know I, I know for many people the the pandemic is over and good riddance and they don't think about it anymore but for most of us in healthcare we're still living with uh, effects from the pandemic you know, whether it be uh, the financial impact, uh, there, there's many, many effects that we could talk about there. For me personally, uh, the pandemic has helped me sit back and reflect about how I think about the impact that we need to have with continuous improvement. Has it had, have you had any in, uh, reflections coming through this pandemic that we've all went through together in light of our continuous improvement journey. Oh yeah, thanks, Skip. There's we could probably do a whole session on that alone. Um, I happen to be um, with a different system as incident commander for the first 18 months of the uh, of the of the pandemic, and so I've experienced a lot. Everything from um, the top-down nature of um, incident command. Uh, it was it was never meant to. Uh, deal with a crisis uh, months and years in in uh, duration. So unfortunately, we have to re-expand our um, our leadership systems because they've been crunched together. And people, um, in in some cases, we have to re-expand them and and get decisions at the appropriate level instead of all decisions being made sort of at the top of the organization, which never works out well. Um, especially from a physician and provider standpoint. I think other things, I mean, obviously we've, we've had a huge loss of um, improvement talent just because a lot of the more senior folks uh, have retired or um, there's been significant turnover in our organization. So we've lost, we've lost some, you know, improvement voltage, if you will. Um, I think, uh, um, I think the other piece is that we're all um, trying to get folks re-engaged in improvement when they're tired and they're just trying to, especially in the um, post-pandemic financial uh, situation that both independents and, and health systems are, are facing, it's really hard to get back um, into that improvement mindset out of sort of the survival mindset. 
and uh, um, and you know scarcity mindset can really limit you in terms of uh, or as as some would call it the inward mindset can really limit you in your ability to work together and um, and see uh, see opportunities across uh, individuals teams and and departments and programs. Really, really well said. I uh, can uh, I can relate to so many of the comments. Well, listen, Dr. Hallett, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, we just want to say thank you so much, and and we would love for you to come back and maybe we have a conversation just around those reflections from the pandemic. But uh, just thank you so much for spending time with us today, so much uh, sharing your experience with us. And so, on behalf of Baptist Memorial Healthcare, thank you so much, my friend. Uh, thank you, Skip. Thanks, uh, HF and Jake, and uh, have have a great day. Thank you, Mark.